0: But hey, uh, speaking of my wife, it's her birthday today. So, isn't that awesome? She is years old. Um, (laughs) uh, Happy birthday, babe! Yeah, she's amazing. But uh, I'm really glad that y'all got to meet my friend Michael Jackson. He's the guy that I've talked about so many times, so many sermon examples, and if you've hung out with me at any point and, and asked me about what small group was like or what college was like for me, you've heard a story um, about uh, me and Michael. One of my favorite ec- escapades that we did, um, and this is really we like really learned a lesson of reality, right, <clears throat> is we lived in this house that was outside the city limits of Huntsville, Texas, if you can imagine that, right? We're on three acres of land. We're not within the city limits. It's just, we're out there, we're out there. We're actually closer to like the state prison graveyard, like the body farm, than than we were to like the actual city. Okay, like that's that's where we lived, okay? And so because of that, you had to pay extra to have trash come and pick up, okay? And in us being the the miserly and, and wise young men that we were, we're like, we're not paying that. And so what we would do is when our trash can would get full, we would, you know, tie it up and then throw it in the back of our buddy's pickup and we'd drive to our church and just throw it in the church dumpster, you know, <laughs> just like any good people would do, right? Every now and again, you'd have a couple bags because you were lazy or you didn't get to it, or we'd just be really stupid and burn it, you know? And... Uh, so one year I remember, um, our friend that had the pickup truck, he, he went home for the summer and, and, my buddy Jeff, he left. And so we didn't have like a pickup truck to get the trash to the church, right? To the dumpster to throw it away. And so our problem solving skills, right? We're, we're still not going to pay money. We're still not going to have like the proper thing done. Right. And you can only burn trash so many times before it starts to really smell bad. You know what I mean? I think one time I was walking past the burn pile and like it exploded because there was like a a can of hairspray or something in there. I I legit thought I was going to die. I'm like, well, this is how it ends. I get pelted with trash. Anyway. um, But yeah, so... Our trash can gets full and we can't fit anymore. You know, you're cramming, trying to get the lid to snap on, the lid doesn't snap on, right? And so Michael and I are like, what do we do? So we decided that the best thing to do would be to buy another trash can, right? So we went and bought another trash can. Well, guess what happens with that one? It filled up, right? And then we're like, what do you do? Well, it worked twice, so let's just go buy another trash can. So we we did this until there was five trash cans (laughs) lined up, right? We would, like, sprint from our cars to the back door because we'd park around the back. We'd sprint from the car to the back door or from the back door to the car because the smell was so terrible. Because there's another part, right? We couldn't snap the lids on. Okay, we couldn't snap it done, And so this invited every raccoon in all of Walker County to come and invade our trash. So they're like dumpster diving, right? And they're like the fattest raccoons ever, right? And then on top of that, it happened to be one of the wettest summers in Walker County. And so not only are we living in this house with no gutters... Right, but we have five trash cans lined up with no lids. The bags have been shredded by raccoons and it's filling up with water, right? It sits like this all summer long, right? So we have fermented trash stew, like just brewing, right? It's, some, it's like straight out of a nightmare, right? It's the most foul smell, right? And so finally, Jeff comes back, right? And we're like, Jeff, we need your truck, we need it bad. Right, we need to come out here. So we round up like all the guys. Right, we round up everybody from our small groups, and we're like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna get this done. So first, we come over and we try and move one can, and it's like what a twenty gallon can. It was yeah. huge, like one of those big of ones, and it was full of water and trash, you know, the trash juice juice. And and we couldn't lift it; it was too heavy. Right, but luckily, luckily, brilliantly, one of those five trash cans that we had purchased had wheels on it. Right? And so our friend Simeon, being the brilliant tactician that he is, said, get a rope. We'll tie this trash can to the back of the truck and we'll just pull it to the church and dump it. We're like, yes, (laughs) yes, <laughs> what could possibly go wrong, right, and so that's what we do, we tie it, right, and our buddy Jeff, he's, he's smart, Jeff is kind of smart, right, I think he's made something of himself, right, and so Jeff, like, is gingerly trying to, like, round the corner of the driveway, because we have been and park behind, the, you know, he's trying to round the corner of the driveway, right, and, and, and he's going too slow, and the trash can won't move, and my buddy Simeon, he's just like, Jeff, get out of the truck, I got this, right, so Simeon hops in, the rest of us are standing by the trash soup, right, there, and then my friend Jeff stands on the opposite side of the driveway, away from the house, right? Oh, no. Simeon guns it, just floors it, and slings that trash juice all over Jeff. I mean, just flings it, right? And I, uh, to this day, one of the most crystal clear memories I have is Jeff Clifton covered in trash soup, dry heaving in the yard going, -ah! -ah!" that was only one of the many stupid things that we did. I think we ended up just like drilling holes in the bottom of the trash cans and letting it drain out. It smelled terrible for months. It was horrible. So what we did in that moment, right, we met reality, you know, because here's reality. If you don't pay somebody to pick up your garbage and you just leave it in the back of your house and let raccoons destroy it and then it ferments in its own juices for a summer, you're going to regret it, right? That's reality. You're welcome. You have now learned something from my life that you do not have to do. Thanks. You're very
1: welcome.
0: Yes? Is his last name really Jackson? Is your last name really Jackson?
1: Really. Wow. Okay.
0: Yeah, yeah, his parents hated him. That's valid. (laughs) That's why Michael and I were friends because we were the two bottom feeders on the social hierarchy, right? His name's Michael Jackson and I'm me, so... He always had a leg up on me because he could always just go change his name if he wanted, right? But uh, So tonight, we're going to talk about reality, right? We're going to talk about the reality... Of God. Just like I met the reality of trash soup that fateful August day. It it was horrible. Like I can still smell it, (laughs) guys. I wish there was video of Jeff just going, (gasps) anyway. I just want that to warm your hearts. Just much like the sun warmed the garbage can full of trash soup. Well, we're going to talk about the reality of God. And if you have your Bibles with you, open up to Luke 17, verse 7. We're going to go to 7 through 10. And if you stole your Gideon Bible from the hotel, page
1: 892.
0: I'm going to make that joke forever. so is
1: the last
0: So let's read the scripture and, and, then, um, and then we'll pray and then we'll get rolling. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us tonight. God, we surrender all of our rights and submit ourselves to you. Holy Spirit, we want you to speak to our hearts. We want you to speak to our minds. We want you to change what needs to be changed. We love you, Father. Amen. So we started this semester, who can remember those heady days on August 22nd or whenever it was at the beginning of the school year? Remember we met in the chapel, right? And nobody could hear anything. It was just so echoey in there. It's fantastic. Do you ever remember what we talked about that day? Yes. We talked about this idea, right, that everyone builds their life around something. And our invitation to you was to come and discover Jesus, because it's our assertion that Jesus is the one that is most worthy to build your life around, right? So everyone has something that they build their lives around. Most build their lives around a what? It's a thing, you know? We talked about the dude that ate like 20 million McDonald's Big Macs or whatever. That dude is weird, right? Like everybody has their thing that they live for. But we in Kai Alpha, we believe that you weren't made to live for a thing, you were made to live for a who. You were made to live for a person. And we talked about how Jesus is that person. You are meant for him, and he is made for you. And that is why everything else in life will ultimately fail you. And so we invited you to come along with us this semester to discover who Jesus is. We also cautioned you against treating God as a what, right? Sometimes you can treat God as a thing. Right? I, I hear it over and over and over that when people treat God as a thing, right? <clears throat> but you were made for a who. So this semester we're talking about who God is. And we haven't talked much, and some of you may have noticed this, about what he does. Right? Because, again, you were made for a who and not a what. Yeah. We didn't spend a lot of time talking about the ways he blesses you or saves you or protects you or, or whatever the popular Christian songs are singing about. How he helps you raise a hallelujah or something like that. I don't know. There was water mentioned in the song at some point, I think. Right? We didn't talk about any of that stuff. Because a what doesn't deserve to be at the center of your life. A who does. Like think about it this way, and this might help some of you out there, right, to understand what I mean, right. So, what gives somebody the right to tell you what to do in your life? And let's say, let's say you have like girls. Let's say you have a boyfriend, right, and he's very strong, he's very powerful, right. He like he like bench presses bulldozers, and you know his arms are as big as an elephant's butt, right. And, like somebody looks at you crossways, he punches them into next Tuesday, right. Good. And, and he's just so strong right? And like you're crossing the street and a car speeding and he just sticks his hand out and the car crumbles right? is he Spiderman? He, some, he's strong, I don't know he's like Thanos, I don't know, right? he's strong and powerful, does that give him the right to tell you how to cut your hair? fuck no <laughs> we have strong opinions I agree with you um, okay, but Okay, so maybe not. Maybe that's that strength thing. What if, what if somebody like, really loves you? What if somebody really loves you? And, and like all day they're writing love letters and poetry to you, like sonnets that Shakespeare would be like jealous of. And, and like all night while you're sleeping, they're stacking gifts up outside of your door for you because they love you so much. D- does, that, does that give them the right to tell you who you can hang out with? No, it doesn't. It's ridiculous right? Or, or um, how about this? Like, cause we say, you know, God loves, I walk with God because he loves me. I, I, I follow God because he's powerful, right? Or, or the most popular. I love Jesus because he saved me, right? Well, let me tell you something. When I was 10 years old, I almost died, right? And there was one doctor that figured it out, right? I was 10. I'd been in the hospital for two weeks. I was down to 20 pounds. I was about to die, and this one doctor figured out that I had an autoimmune disease where my antibodies in my body were attacking my heart. Crazy, right? It's nuts. So Rebecca Walker is the reason I'm still alive. She saved me. Does that give her the right to come and tell me to change my career? But she saved me. I wouldn't be here, right? So it's not about what they do. What gives someone the right to tell you what to do? What gives somebody the right to have authority in your life? who they are, their character. Does that make sense? Does that drive that point home? I really want to make sure that's understood, right? And so what we say in Chi Alpha is that who Jesus is, is why he's worthy of being the center of your life. And this whole semester, we have talked about different facets of God's personality. We've talked about his character and I'm going to summarize them as best I can in like one sentence. But if you want to go back and listen to these, then they're on. We have a podcast where we post these irregularly because I'm in charge of it. Um, <laughs> but, but they're all up there, okay? Right? So we, we talked about the friendship of God, his fellowship and friendship, and how he is ever welcoming. And he's always seeking a relationship with you. We talked about his faithfulness, how he will never abandon you, let you down, nor fail you. How he loves you and he wills the best for you and the best for your life. How he is holy in his holiness. He never has any motive other than the purest and the best. We talked about his justice. Do you remember that night? We talked about his justice and how he desires to make all things right in the world again. We talked about how he gives you purpose and he gives you something worth living for. He gives real meaning to your life. We talked about his generosity. And how he gives abundantly and overwhelmingly to all that love him, right? He gives all of who he is and what he has. We talked about, James talked about his intentionality and how he is never careless in his dealings with you. We talked about his joy, how he gives us joy that carries us through the good and the bad of life. Pam talked about his glory. And how his ultimate power, honor, and worth is what he wants to share with you and display through you. And then, right before Missions Week, we talked about the childlikeness of God and how his wonder and hope is always dreaming and yearning for you to cast off your oldness of sin and have wonder and hope again in your heart. We talked about him, not what he does. You see that? And the beautiful thing is that God is all these things to an infinite degree. And he's so much more. In reality, we can spend the rest of all of time until the heat death of the universe talking about who he is and never run out of things to say. We've had discussions at staff meetings where we're talking about how Kai Alpha is going. And often we'll say, like, why don't we just keep talking about this? Why don't we just keep going into next semester? Because we just love talking about how great our God is. Here's the reality, is that God is the best person that you can possibly conceive and beyond that. We've only scratched the surface when we talk about him. But if, if you were paying attention, you also would have noticed that not only did we tell you what God was like, but we also asked you to be like him. Did you pick up on that? Because Jesus makes this claim in John chapter 14. He makes this really strong claim. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is a big statement. That's a big, bold statement. But I believe it's true. See, Jesus isn't just the who that you build your life around but he's also the way. He's the way you live as well. Yeah. See, Jesus, when he tells us things, when, when we look at his character and then, and then learn ways to live, he's not just giving us arbitrary ru- rules, but he is actually describing how he himself is. Yeah. I know I quote E. Stanley Jones all the time, but this just bears repeating. E. Stanley Jones writes, He did not merely ask men to turn the other cheek when smitten on the one, to go the second mile when compelled to go one, to give the cloak also when sued at the law and the coat was taken away, to love our enemies and to bless them. He himself did that very thing. The servants struck him on one cheek, and he turned the other, and the soldiers struck him on that. They compelled him to go with them one mile from Gethsemane to the judgment hall, and he went with them too, even to Calvary. They took away his coat at the judgment hall and he gave them his seamless robe at the cross. And in the agony of the cruel torture of the cross, he prayed for his enemies. Fathers, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus lived the way he tells us to live. When we talk about the character of God and then apply that to our lives to change our lives, we are walking in the way of Jesus. Not only is he the who to build your life around, but he is the way, the manner in which to live. The early church actually understood this. Did you know this? Small little mention in the book of Acts. Some of you may have noticed this, but the early church called themselves the way. They they did this because they understood that Jesus was not only the who that they lived for, but also their very way of living. And so when we live contrary to the way of Jesus, we're not just breaking an arbitrary rule, but we're actually violating a person. Because the laws of the kingdom of God are a description of God's character. So to put it succinctly, you don't break a law You break a heart. You don't break a law. You break a heart. And then Jesus is so infinitely good. He's not just the who that you build your life around or the way to live, but he's also truth. I'm the way, the truth. He's the truth of reality. In case you were starting to wax a little, you know, like... um, and pluralistic in thinking, well, there's lots of ways. Jesus slams that door shut by saying, I am the truth, because there's only one truth. Yeah. Yeah. There is an objective truth. Yeah. Yeah. I want to direct your attention to these two scriptures, Genesis 127 and 2 Corinthians 4.4. And I want to point something out to you that I thought was really interesting. So Genesis 127, this is the creation of man on the sixth day. And it says, so God created mankind in his own image. And then we know the story, there's the fall of man and all the bad stuff happens, right? And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul writes this. He says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. But wait, Scroggins, how can we be in the image of God and Jesus be the image of God? Well, before the fall happened, before man rebelled in the garden, we were the perfect image of God. After we sinned, we became corrupted. We became a broken and shattered image of God. But Jesus, like a shooting star through the night sky, enlightened us as to what God really looked like. And he is the perfect, uncorrupted image of God. See, Jesus is what we were always intended to be. Look at it. It's right there. So here's the truth of it you were made to be like Jesus. You were made to be like Jesus. And when we go against this, we live and live contrary to the character of Jesus. We actively run against the grain of reality. that's, That's how we get splinters in our hearts, in our souls, right? I mean, think about it. Why does a lie detector work? Have you ever thought about that? Why does a lie detector work? It detects stress. Your heart rate goes up. Your your blood pressure goes up. The the very electroconductivity of your skin changes because you weren't made to lie. Mm -hmm. You were made to be like him. You were made to be a perfect image of God. And therefore, his commandments are not suggestions. They are to be obeyed because they are descriptions of reality. from an infinite perspective. Yeah, come on. Yeah. Let me say that again. God's laws are a description of reality from an infinite perspective. Yeah. So when Jesus says, don't lie, when Jesus says, don't sin, right? Yeah. It's like saying, verily I say unto thee, if thy jumpeth off an exceedingly great height, without a parachute, batsuit, or hang glider, yeah. thou shalt accelerate towards the ground at 32 foot a second a second, and when thou strikest thy head against the pavement, thou shalt be paced, amen. It's reality. And this is actually how I teach my kids. This is how I teach my kids. I don't teach my children not to lie because the Bible says so. I teach my children not to lie because it breaks us. I remember sitting down with my son and he had lied to us and, and I was just like, Son, you can't tell a lie. Do you know why? Because if you lie, then I can't trust you. And you deserve a father that trusts you. And I deserve a son that I can trust. If you you lie, your relationships break down. Reality breaks down. You're not made to live like that. And that goes for all of the sins, all of the laws that God gives us. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's yeah. good. So God's laws are descriptions of reality from an infinite perspective. They are how we are designed to live. They are reality. They're the best thing for us. So when the Bible teaches us to obey God, it is not an authoritarian arbitrarily ordering you around. Because he's some like transdimensional being that's against fun. No, it's a wise and good creator advising his creation on how best to operate. Or to say it like, you know, simply, like you can try and dig a hole with a hammer and you might make a little progress, but eventually that hammer's gonna break. And that's what it's like when you go against the law of God. You're going against reality. Reality. Because his laws are descriptions of reality from an infinite perspective. They are truth. You know what we call someone that's out of touch with reality? Crazy. It's crazy. To disobey the commands of a wise, good, and loving God is insane. It's not like some kind of like Mark of awesome rebelliousness Or anything like that It's actually just dumb It's like driving on the wrong side of the road Eventually you're going to hit someone Or someone's going to hit you And if you think through life If you think about the things that have hurt you In life in the past Most of those things have been when people Break the law of God So we say this You don't break the laws of God They break you if you tell enough lies, no one will ever trust you, right? I tell this story often because I think it illustrates the point really well. Um, but I remember uh, when I used to run a restaurant. I was a restaurant manager, and it was this terrible place. I called it the the restaurant the toilet that was shaped like a restaurant. I hated it, but. Um, <clears throat> One of my servers, uh, I was the manager and one of the waitresses, she um, she found out somehow that that I had saved myself from marriage. Right? And uh, she was like making fun of me a lot, right? Like some you know some Christians are like that's persecution. Like that's not that's not persecution. Like being fed to a lion, that's like persecution. This is just like, oh, she's picking on me, who cares, right? So she was making fun of me, and a couple other people joined in, like, nerd, virgin, like, yeah, well, I was, you know, I don't care, like, I'm married now, it's awesome, you know. And, and they were just, like, the whole shift, right, the whole shift, they're riding on me. And I remember, like, finally we're settling up, and, and, like, she's at the front, and we're doing all the paperwork stuff that we have to do. And I remember asking her, I said, Morgan... You've, you've been making fun of me about this all day. Have you, ever, have you ever stopped to think about maybe, like maybe why it's right to save yourself from marriage? She's like, no. It's like, okay, well, when I woke up the morning after my wedding, I rolled over and I was next to my wife and it was the closest, most intimate moment I've ever felt with another human being. It was beautiful. And I looked at her and I said, Morgan, what are you gonna do? the morning after your wedding when you roll over and look at your husband and think he wasn't as good as the last guy or God forbid was I as good as the last girl and she started weeping because you don't break God's laws they break you do you see that Jesus is the truth who he is is an accurate description of how we are intended to live and to live any other way is foolishness. But Jesus is so infinitely good. He isn't just the who that you build your life around or the way you live, nor just the truth of reality, but he's also the life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. When Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, one of the lines that he taught in Matthew 6, this is the Lord's Prayer, one of the lines I, I thought was really interesting. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I, I thought that was so weird. What an odd prayer. And then I realized what Jesus is actually intimating here Jesus is thinking about heaven the place of eternal life the place where God lives where the source of all life dwells and Jesus is saying that we need to recreate the atmosphere and circumstances of that place where eternal life dwells we need to replicate those circumstances here on earth So that means that our simple acts of obedience to our wise, good, and loving Father creates a place where he can dwell. Does that make sense? Is that too out there? John writes it like this. John phrases it this way in his letter. He says, The world and its desires pass away but whoever does the will of God lives forever. See, they live forever not because they leave earth and go off to heaven, but because a bit of heaven is in them. When you do the will of God, you become a place where life dwells. Living out the character of God, making him the who that guides and underpins all that you do, makes you a source of true life in the world. In John's gospel, it records Jesus standing up and he says, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. This is a callback to the Garden of Eden, to the book of Genesis. Do you, does anyone remember how the garden was watered? Water would just well up from within. Jesus is saying, if you will follow him, if you will obey his commands, if you will do what he says, if you will make him the who that you build your life around, then you will become a miniature Eden. You will become like this place of life springing up. You will become an oasis in a desolate world and wherever you go you will bring a little bit of heaven with you. But to live against God's commands is to cut yourself off from the source of life and to live a life of brokenness. That's why G.K. Chesterton says that we sin and grow old and our Father in heaven remains young. So in our stupidity, in our madness, we, we live against the reality of God and we live a life of brokenness. We break the hearts of others. We break ourselves. We slowly grow despairing of our very lives. So instead of friendship, we become friendless. We become isolation, little islands of isolation We drive others away or we shut ourselves off. Instead of a life with faithfulness, we become faithless. We become quick to throw people away, quick to break promises, quick to betray, and quick to be betrayed. Like a barren rock in the middle of an ocean, self-reliant but useless. Instead of love, we become loveless. Incapable of caring for others outside of ourselves. Every action twinged with selfish gain. Instead of becoming holy, we become pragmatic. We don't seek the best for others. We seek the easiest and most convenient ways and means for ourselves. Instead of justice, we become unjust. And it becomes a winner-take-all survival of the fittest ethic in our lives. And like some kind of animal, we become red in tooth and claw, seek to dominate. Instead of having real purpose, we're left with purposelessness. We grope about in the dark, and like some kind of neurotic lunatic, we find ourselves asking, what is the point of it all? Why am I even here? Instead of generosity, we become stingy, like Scrooge from Christmas carol. And we hold on to what we have and we fight against anyone that would take it fiercely. We mock those that are in need because we are not. And we only give miserly when we do give it all. Instead of living a life of intentionality, we live aimlessly and haphazardly. We become careless with our lives and words and deeds. There's no order as our life descends into just chance and chaos. Instead of having joy, we become joyless. Our lives become dim and bleak and any happiness becomes fleeting as we fall into the deep and wide chasms of despair that come upon us in life. Instead of God sharing his glory with us and using his glory through us, we become common. Shame and foolishness Smear the bright distinctions of life into a bland, gray mess. And all that God would use to give us honor and distinction fades into uselessness. Instead of being childlike, we we become cynical and decrepit. Cynicism dominates our lives as we seek to keep our hearts safe from foolish hopes. So we lock it up tight. And our fortresses that we build around our hearts become a tomb. And then what was once young grows tired and cold. And what I just described is a broken person. Because they went against the reality of who God is. And maybe I described some of you in this room. Maybe I described who you were before Jesus came along. Or maybe I described somebody that you love. What I do know is that I described at least someone else on this planet. And that's why we're doing missions trips. That's why we emphasize meeting people on the campus. Do you remember what it was like to live without joy? when happiness was just something that happened to you? Do you remember what it was like to live before God gave you purpose? And you just aimlessly wandered about, hoping to find something solid that you could hang on to? Do you remember, remember what that was like? So as we're wrapping up the semester, then the band can come back up. There's some of you here that you've been along for the ride and you've heard everything we have to say. And I would like to challenge you to make a decision for Jesus. I think that we've shown that he is the best thing for you. That he is the one thing that is strong enough and worthy enough to support your life. if that's you, you don't have to like raise your hand or anything like that, but you do have to pray. So the person that brought you or the person that's sitting next to you, they want to pray with you. And then for the rest of us, for the rest of us, we're about to go home. We're going to get through this finals week and it might break us, but we can make it. But then we're going to go home. And there's someone back home, a mom, a dad, a sister, a brother, a friend from high school. There's someone that is groping about in the darkness and despairing of life. Because those of us that are in that category, what we've done is we've submitted ourselves to the reality. We've submitted ourselves to his way, his truth, and we've joined in and partake of his life. And when we do that, when we really follow Jesus and obey his commands, live like he lived, speak truth like he spoke, and have life like he has life, you become the very thing that God has made you to. Very thing that he hoped you would be. You became like him. You became like his son. The way you we were always intended to be. And what's going to happen if you live this way, if you put on the character and nature of God, if you put on the character of Christ and you go back home, people are going to look at you and They're going to say, who are you? What changed? You'll be like a city shining on a hill that can't be hidden. Have you heard that before? But what you will find is that this is the most natural way of living. Your mind may be thinking, the Scroggins, it's so hard to live with. How can I offer friendship to everyone? How can I be faithful to everyone? How can I be generous and all of these things? I've got like 18 tests coming up. I don't have joy. I've got panic. But you know, it's easy to be like Jesus because that's how you're made to be. And the people around you, the people that you're returning to back home, They'll see your good deeds and they'll glorify your Father in heaven. just If you need me, I'll be in the back. You can come find me and we'll pray together. If not, if you've already got Jesus.